Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another of the most scintillating hours in finance radio, a special holiday Thanksgiving edition. And I don't even really, I was telling the, the people in Three Minute Startup, I, it is a holiday edition. I don't really know what it means. We don't have any turkey sound effects or anything like that. But also really sincerely hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. It's not, it's not Christmas to me. I mean, Christmas to me is the, is the mother of all holidays. I'm a sap for it. Just love me some Christmas. But Thanksgiving is right there. I just, I just always love, I think it's because my family made it a big deal. But, um, and so now I make it a big deal with our kids. I just love Thanksgiving. There's something about it. But anyway, I hope you guys had a wonderful, I hope you still are, as a matter of fact. I mean, I really hope there are some gastrointestinal feats of, feats of amazement uh, being done out there, right? This is the weekend of elastic waistbands, negative calorie count. I mean, just, you gotta, you gotta take it when you can get it. And I don't know if I've told you guys this, this is scientifically proven that during holidays, it's, it's a holiday weekend. So it, it literally starts Wednesday at midnight and runs to Sunday night at midnight. That caloric impact is cut in half. It's one of the beautiful things that God did for our bodies during holidays. So don't feel bad about it. it, it you, you, you eat 5,000 calories. Your body thinks it's 2,500. <laughs> That's what I tell myself anyway. Right. But uh, no, serious, sincerely, hope you guys are having a great weekend. And um, I was telling the folks in the three minute warm up as well. We did have an interview plan, but I forgot it was a holiday weekend. And so we're going to save it for next week. Um, and the reason why is, is it's a really good one. And I want you, I want everybody to hear it. And holiday listenership tanks. Um, been doing this enough years. And, you know, people are busy. They're out doing things. And I will be too. I'll, I'm going to be at a high school football game on uh, on Saturday. So, <clears throat> um, and I, yeah, I was telling, again, telling people in the open, it's love me some high school football still. It's just the purest form of the game. Really hope I get the chance to coach my boys uh, in high school. But uh, anyway, you still have a great show planned for you today. Plenty and really interesting stuff to talk about. Um, not not a whole lot of news and data came out this week, but there was some uh, some important stuff, and then kind of a saga, kind of a dramatic saga. And I don't know how you, how close you guys are following this, but the the and, and we'll get into this in a second. But but some pretty big news and some pretty odd things going on in the world of AI uh, involving Microsoft. So, so we'll get into that in a second, but market update. Um, <clears throat> we're going to attach it a little bit from a, from an economic level. All of the leading indicators that we're looking at, um, you know, credit card spending, debit card spending, all that kind of stuff. It continues to look recessionary. Um and it's funny because the further along we go on the year, it seems like every day we rally, more and more people are sure we're not having a recession. And and 
you know, I hopefully we've earned that credibility. If that ends up being the case, I'll be the first guy to step up here and tell you it's wrong. I, I just, we still can't really identify anything to base that on outside of market action. And that would be nothing new. There's a funny dynamic that plays out in, in markets, and we've talked about it before. But the vast majority of market participants, and, and, and maybe it's just market media, it kind of gives you the feeling of market participants, because a lot of market, market participants saying the same thing. But rather than trying to really get down to the truth of what's happened, and, and really there isn't an answer. This is the other thing. Whenever you're listening to the media talk to you, the stock market rallied on news of the minute you hear that said, turn it off, right? Don't listen to them, right? That's them after the fact, watching the way the market moved and then attributing to something that said that day. And then usually the first mover that goes, it happened because of this, then everybody parrots it. Markets go up because people were willing to pay a higher price than they were yesterday, period. That's it. And I, I, I find it fascinating and hilarious how every single day the Dow shed 20 points today and off of news that so-and-so, you know what I mean? You're just like, <laughs> markets do all kinds of things all the time. And more often than not, it really isn't tied to anything. Just what markets do. We've, we've got to tell these narratives, right? But I kind of think when we look at it, and I don't, I don't want to be, again, I think you guys know that we're somewhere in the middle. We think there's going to be a recession. Don't think it's going to be horrific. Um, not for the majority of people, though. It's like that old deal, you know, a recession is when your neighbor loses his job. A depression is when you lose yours. So I don't want to make light of lost jobs and things of that nature. But I don't think it's going to be a horrific recession. I just think people continue to be extraordinarily unrealistic. You know, I, I just don't understand how they think the consumer is going to hold up at these levels with inflation where it is, interest rates where it is, and no more stimulus. You know, and student loans coming back on. And, and the funny thing is you see it in the data. I think one of the most fascinating data points that we've looked at all year is supposedly you had 4.9% GDP growth in the, in the third quarter this year, which means you had 8% nominal growth because GDP number right, is growth minus inflation. Now, here's the thing, and I don't think it's a conspiracy. I'm not saying they're doctoring the data, but here's the thing. 8% growth annualized, that is massive for an economy like ours. So here's my question. How is it that you've got an economy supposedly running that hot and yet over 50% of companies reporting earnings have missed revenue estimates? Not earnings estimates, revenue estimates, right? If you're really cooking at an 8% nominal rate, how in the world is the average company that's reporting earnings missing revenue estimates? It, It just, now look, it may sort itself out. And maybe a year from now, we look back and say, you know, oh, that made sense because of this reason and that reason. Uh, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you're just increasingly watching the narrative of the market drifting away from what appears to be the pretty obvious reality is that the economy is slowing. And then there's also this belief that the economy is going to slow to the point where inflation gets down to 2%. And then the Fed will begin cutting and everything will be serene. I just don't know where they base that on. Let's say that scenario, you really think that that inflation is going to hit 2% level and just stay there and magically the Fed's going to adjust rates and we're just going to be boom, everything's going to be perfect. Here's the other thing. 
Why are you getting such hot GDP reprints? It's because of inflation. Right? Remember, inflation looks at when you GDP, when you see that 8% number, and I'm way oversimplifying this, but GDP is almost like the addition of all of the transactions that took place in the economy. And that's way oversimplified. But if you think about it, if you've got, you know, five, six, seven percent inflation, now we're currently supposedly at a CPI of 3.1, 3.2. But let's say you got, you're going to have a hot GDP print, right? It's going to look, oh, we're booming. Well, you're like, well, not really because it's inflationarily driven, right? Meaning, Somebody went out and bought a car. Well, car prices are up 20%. So that's going to look like, you know, that transaction is going to be 20% more and, you know, add 20% more to GDP than it otherwise would have. And it's just, it's just odd right now how so many, it's not odd. It's people looking at price action and believing that Mr. Market knows everything and all that kind of stuff. And I just think it's probably really mechanical things, passive flows, right? ETFs, people thinking that a recession just isn't, possible anymore because it's been so long without one and then watching the positive market response this year and people completely ignoring that all of those gains have been driven by seven stocks and meanwhile everywhere you look just says slow drastic you know i don't want to be too dramatic but you're looking at the data we're all looking at it looks like dramatic slowing meaning pretty sharp now you got to obviously see if this plays out over you know multiple quarters but again, if you're just data dependent and you're just looking at the data, it looks like a recession. So, uh, you know, Lowe's came out yesterday. Was it yesterday or today? It was today, uh, Tuesday. But Lowe's came out negative 7.8% on same store sales, meaning sales that existed a year ago or stores that existed a year ago, the average store. So not a new store, right? Because you can open a new store and be like, well, our sales are up 3%. Well, it's because you're open 15 new stores. So the way we really manage this is looking at same stores. So stores that were in existence last time, you know, last year during the third quarter. And same store sales are down 7.8%. Again, in an economy that is supposedly growing at an 8% nominal rate. And this isn't just lows. This is almost identical data that came out with Home Depot. Now, this isn't impacting any of their stock prices yet, which is also a mind-numbing deal to me. And the, and the crazy thing is when you read through the quarterly reports, it's very similar. One of the themes you're hearing constantly is the consumer is tightening their belt, and we're seeing it mostly we're, – we're seeing an exaggerated version of that on anything high-priced. So big name tickets. People aren't not buying you know, uh, you know, electrical outlets and screws. That, that's still going normal. But, you know, the big expensive barbecue, the big new lawn furniture set, all that kind of stuff. And and what it's pointing to me, you see it in PC sales, you see it in video game system sales. What it's pointing to me is that consumer air pocket that we were talking about for so long. And I just never understood how anybody could look past that. You know, that you think that the consumer, that we found like a new bottom and the consumer is going to keep purchasing like they have over the last two and a half years. And again, I'm leaving like... Certainty is the hallmark of the charlatan. I'm never going to tell you anything's a certain bet, but you're just looking at all this going, I just don't get it. I just don't get the reason for the optimism. Now, I think a lot of the doom and gloom is overbaked, but I, I just, I, I just don't get it. And like I said, you're seeing it really consistent. The one outlier that's a little bit odd is sporting goods companies seem to be holding in there. Um, 
it's too small of a of a deal to really make a difference economy wide. But it's just been interesting to me that really the only places seemingly doing good are discount retailers, which makes sense, right? People trying to save money, like Burlington Coat Factory, Burlington, you know, that company. Uh, they announced decent results, good results, I would say. You know, nothing like amazing. But again, they're a discount, right? That makes sense in an inflationary environment and a cooling economy, all that kind of stuff. Um, but pretty much across the board, especially with more premium retailers, you're just seeing them all say the same thing. And all report sales dropping somewhere between, you know, 6 to 10%. Uh, yeah, it, it's just one of those crazy times where you're looking at everybody going, oh, yeah, there's going to be no recession. You're looking at them going, what, what? Okay, maybe you're right. What are you based on? Well, look at the market and services. And you're like, services are rolling over. Well, the job market, you're like, uh, continuing unemployment claims are moving up kind of dramatically. I, I, I wouldn't say super dramatically, but certainly in a meaningful way. The unemployment number is ticked higher, right? Uh, temp work is going down fairly sharply. Again, I don't want to over-exaggerate it. It's not falling off a cliff. Delinquency, I mean, just you name it. Just not a lot of strength out there. Um. But that's that's kind of been it on the economic front. Uh, the other thing that that was interesting today, a couple things. First of all, this ongoing saga, and I really want to get somebody in with some expertise in this range because I think it's really interesting. And like we've said before, look, AI is going to be a very very big impactful development for this for 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 the world economy. Um, you know, specifically here in the United States. But like most things, I think people are really being unrealistic about the timetable in which that's going to happen. And then the other thing too, is that it's going to also disrupt certain things. So it's just not going to be a net positive to the overall economy, right? It's going to suck capital from other things. So I just don't think it's this, you know, fix all elixir that everybody is, is kind of treating it like. But just fascinating stuff. So, so the biggest one that everybody knows is Chat GPT, and that was founded by a company called OpenAI. And they were originally slated as a non-for-profit, but they had a for-profit sleeve to the business. And Microsoft invested, and then all of a sudden, without warning, late last week, I think it was was it I think it got announced over Friday or something like that. Um. They fired basically the two OpenAI, the company that owns ChatGPT or developed it, that Microsoft invested in. The board of OpenAI fired Sam Altman, the, the CEO and the guy that's put it all together, right? The head designer, the head code writer, all that kind of stuff. And then he was promptly hired by Microsoft. And honestly, at this point, I don't want to say too much, but it just something smells off. And I think that what you're seeing here is companies struggling with the antitrust issue, meaning the reason that Microsoft, I don't think just bought chat GPT or open AI out outright is because they know any significant acquisition is probably going to at least catch the eye of regulators. They're starting to challenge some of these purchases because these companies are just getting too big. Now they're not going after it as aggressively as I think they should do should be. And, and when I say that, I don't say there's anything nefarious or bad about those companies. I just think they're getting too big. They're just controlling too big of swaths, too big of swaths of the economy, and I think it. I I think it. I, I don't think I know it's bad for competition. I know it's bad for free markets, and I think you could make an argument that at some point it starts being a danger 
uh, to us as a country. And one of the reasons it's a danger to us as a country, I was speaking about this today with a buddy of mine, was just saying, look, when you have seven companies that are valued that much, right? Every president wants the stock market to go up. Well, if the Magnificent Seven don't go up, the market ain't going up either. It's too big a weight in the overall market for the most part. I mean, they could go down a little bit and other sectors could rally, but. And why is that dangerous? Well, because like I said, every president wants the market to go up. And I think if you look at current market structure, unless you, right, I'm just telling you this, I will flat out guarantee you this. The fact that they have gotten so big will at least slow the hand of regulatory action in terms of breaking them up and enforcing antitrust laws. Because if you start doing that, it makes it really hard for the market to go down, right? And I think right now is no, I think it's a perfect example of people getting the stock market and the economy confused, right? Stock market goes down. Oh, the guy's a disaster economically. The Dow's down 20% or whatever. And so what I think these companies, I don't think, I know what these companies are doing is rather than taking these companies outright, they're buying up like 40% of the equity, which doesn't give them a controlling interest. So they can't say that they own it. But at the same time, if you own 40%, they're probably the largest shareholder. Right, So they don't own it outright. So they're not going to really catch the ire of regulators. At the same time, they got a lot of influence. right? So I, I, we're going to get somebody on that's going to talk about this Microsoft OpenAI thing because I think it's a really big story. And I think it's going to give us a glimpse into kind of the issues of dealing with this and what companies are going to do to sidestep these issues and so on and so forth. The other fascinating thing I think about it, and this is a point that I've been trying to make a long time. One of the, one of the discussions is Sam Altman, the, 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 again, the CEO, the founder of OpenAI, has said that one of the things he wanted to do at Microsoft was to develop AI chips that would compete with NVIDIA. Okay, and this is one of the important things that we've been talking about for a while. When you look at all of the things that are – now, I, I would expect NVIDIA to deliver another jaw-dropping earnings release uh, today. I have no clue where they're at. I, I mean, I know they're doing a lot of business. Uh, we'll have to see. I think they report after the bell today. Um, but if the story is as good as everybody thinks it is, justifying this incredible multiple on NVIDIA stock and this incredible upward thrust, <laughs> I mean – Watch a company that size go up by what? I mean, what are they up? Three and a half X on the year, something crazy like that. Um, if it's that good, look for competition, right? Like we, we, when you're pricing things to be that good for a company that size. And, and like I said, I think NVIDIA is trading at like 35 times sales. Don't quote me on that number, but just mind numbing levels. I, and I said all along, I, what do we say? I Look, I look for the other big companies to develop their own chips. They're not going to just pour all that money into NVIDIA when they have the ability. Google already has a chip that's good for 25% AI processes, even though their stock doesn't price it in. So for a whole lot of reasons, I find this OpenAI Microsoft saga fascinating. And I think it's a really important thing to look at because I think it speaks to so many different things. It speaks to who's going to dominate the chip market and this whole idea. People are almost kind of treating NVIDIA like it's Tesla, right? The belief behind, you know, so many, for so many years, the Tesla bulls were like, no other car company is going to exist. Tesla's going to own 100% of the car market. Well, that's ridiculous, right? It's ridiculous. 
Okay. And you see that saying that NVIDIA is going to own the space. You're like, no, competition will pop up. Anytime you have margins that big, it's one of the reasons we say margins are the ultimate mean reverting data set. Meaning, great, you got 45 to 50% margins. Enjoy it because competition is coming because they want to get a cut of those margins. Because they can undercut you by 10% and still be at 40% margins or that'd be a 20% undercutting. Right? And 40% margins still pretty dang good, right? And there's a lot of smart people out there that know how to do it. And there's a lot of smart people out there and companies out there who have already done it. So I, for that reason, this Microsoft OpenAI saga is just fascinating to me. So we're going we're gonna to dig into that a little bit more. But um, other than that, not a whole lot of information. Even rates have settled down a little bit. Ten-year made a new, a new low here in this most recent move. It's trading slightly before, slightly below 4.44, 4, I think 4.42%. Um, again, I think it's really odd because I think the back end, I think those longer dated bonds, I think the yields are starting to come down to those. And this is my opinion. Again, I could be proven wrong, but I think that the yields are coming down in those because of that economic weakness. It's so funny. Like I was saying to sit back and look at the narrative and then look at the data and you're like, this actually looks really normal to me. It looks like kind of the consistent price action you would see if we were heading into a recession. It was like, Oh no, this is going so again, maybe we're wrong, but as always though, and, and I just can't get over this feeling when I see these valuation spreads, when I see what bonds are paying, when I see so much of these companies that haven't rallied this year, and that's the average company, right? You're still sitting with the average company is still down on the Russell 2000, for instance, on the year is still down like 30%. New York Stock Exchange, I believe it's right around the same number, 25 to 30% down. And yet the market up. And that's so key for people to understand. Right? If you take nothing from this show, realize the market isn't rallying. It's all seven stocks. Right? That's it. Take the seven stocks out of the S&P and I think it's up like 3% on the year or something like that. And truthfully, if you took them out on the year, some of those stocks rally in sympathy with those stocks. So, <clears throat> you know, I think if you took them out, you'd probably be down more like 5 to 10. Would be, That's my opinion. I can't prove that. But... It's wild. It's wild. It's, it's kind of like a, like we were joking around. It's like a pick your own adventure book, right? We're going to lay out the data. Everybody's like, well, I think it's the start of a new bull market. It's infinity and beyond. And other people are kind of sitting there like me going, um, <clears throat> sort of looks like a recession, man. <laughs> it's slowing consumer spending, increased delinquencies, higher rates, uh, real estate investing or real estate activity at a crawl. Uh, 50% of companies reporting missed revenue estimates. I, it just feels like one of those bizarre moments where everybody is just looking, not seeing the forest for the trees. And guys, these are the times when risk management matters, right? What you need in these periods of times is a portfolio that can hold up to the recession and not get you killed, not get you hammered. But also if there isn't one somehow miraculously, and I still can't see a way around it, but if there isn't one, a portfolio that'll make some money. That'll keep going up. You got to be good either way. Give us a call, 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com. Stick us through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach discuss key investment strategies across several asset classes, not just stocks and bonds. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. 
We're with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, you talk about how you actively manage portfolios. How does active management help people with risk management? Because market conditions are constantly changing. Those advisors who put you in a portfolio and simply tell you to just ride the waves may not be equipped to handle the level of volatility we're seeing daily. And it's that constant changing volatility that can put retirement portfolios at a larger risk for loss. Risk management is our number one focus at Bulwark Capital, and our strongest leverage against loss is actively managing every portfolio, looking for opportunities to lower risk, lower cost, and give you as much upside as possible. Find out about how Bulwark Capital actively manages risk. Call them now and you'll get a free copy of Zach's Common Sense Investing Guide, 866-779-RISK. That's 866-779-RISK. Or you can go to knowyourriskradio.com. That's knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice. Advisory services offered through Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you so much for sticking with us through the break. Okay, so wanted to get into this growth story a little bit more. And guys, I don't have all the answers, but you got to be careful who you're listening to. A client of mine sent me a, uh, a piece of a newsletter that he subscribes to financial investing newsletter, supposedly written by some investing expert. Okay. And, uh, the guy was basically saying, yeah, there's some bad stuff going on there, but the feds going to be forced to cut rates. And we're going to see a bull market in real estate and the stock market that make 20 and 2021 look tame. And, you know, inflation, here we go. And this is why you got to own gold and Bitcoin and real estate and all these different things. And said, you know, as people don't get what's going on, you know, with interest rates, the Fed has to cut interest rates because these high interest rates will bankrupt them because they can't afford to make all the interest rate payments and blah, blah, blah. And I just stopped and I went, hey, man, I don't mean this as an insult to whoever this guy is, but this is why you have to be careful about who you listen to. And this is just the, the, the email that I sent back to him response. And I said, listen, I don't mean this as a personal shot at whoever wrote this, but whoever wrote this has no clue what they're talking about. Okay. Clue number one, they're going to bankrupt the Fed. The Fed can't go bankrupt. They got a printing press. It's just not the way it works. Okay. And they're going to bankrupt the Fed because the Fed can't afford to make interest payments. The Fed doesn't make interest payments. They're made by the treasury. Okay. When I see those two things, I don't even need to read the rest of the guy's opinion. It's not me saying he's stupid. Just he's ignorant. He has no clue what he's talking about. And if you have those two things wrong, if you get anything else right, you're just being dartboard lucky, right? And like I've told you guys this, and it probably doesn't need to be said in the age of social media, chances are, if you're listening to a radio like show like this on a Saturday on Thanksgiving weekend, you're probably somebody that stays up with current events and facts matter to you. I don't think we've ever lived in a period of time where facts were less valuable. Now, are they valuable? Yes. I'm just saying, are they seen as valuable? By the culture, absolutely not. Men can have babies, right? I mean, we're calling Israel genocidal, which is kind of a tough one. If they're, man, if Israel's all about genocide, they're pretty bad at it, right? We, we, the population of Palestine has grown something like 3x since the year 2000. And my point is not to get into another political discussion. Like I've said, there's plenty of shows out there for this. But what I will say is I think we've got to be very careful about who we're listening to. Talk about these things because it, it, it never – now, this was a newsletter, which is just shocking to me because, like I said, when I come on the radio, you know, when I'm giving an opinion, I'll say I'm giving an opinion. But one of the reasons I do that is 
I don't want to give anybody bad information, right? I don't, I don't want to be the source of confusion or, or the source of information that isn't accurate that makes people make bad decisions. But the other part of it is kind of self-preservation. I don't want to be seen as that idiot that was obloviating on the radio about things that he had no clue about and ended up being completely wrong. And I will just tell you, as somebody that does this kind of stuff for a living, it amazes me how few people are concerned about that. Right. Like, think about that. This guy signs his name to a newsletter talking about the Fed going bankrupt, even though it's not structurally possible. They don't make interest payments. They get paid interest on the assets on their balance sheet. The U.S. government is actually paying the Fed. And they take the majority of that interest income and they give it back to the Treasury. And this guy writes a newsletter. And I'm not going to say his name on purpose because the point is not to slam on somebody. The point is to warn you about who you're listening to and who you're believing. And it's one of the fascinating things about being in this position. Because the other thing is, is these people get these cult-like followings and it doesn't matter how many times they're wrong. Their followers, well, yeah, but they're wrong because of it. And you're like, they were wrong. Who cares why? They were wrong. And on top of it, you look at a joker like this guy. And he's sitting there talking about how the economy is going to work. He doesn't even know who makes the, makes the interest payments on the debt. He doesn't even know how the Fed works. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty incredible. So this gets us to the next point that I was talking about. Is the whole strong economy, the strong growth. We all heard rip-roaring. Now, I've said this many times. And so I don't, I don't mean to kick a dead horse here, but the belief that a strong GDP print or a strong economic print in one quarter takes the possibility of recession off the table, once again, complete misnomer. That's what happens most of the time. And we've discussed this before. If you look back over the last hundred years, uh, over 90% of the time, the quarter preceding the quarter when a recession started. So let's say a recession was going to start in the fourth quarter of this year. 90% of the time, you get an outsized positive economic growth number in the third quarter coming right before that fourth quarter. And there's a lot of reasons why selling back to inventories, getting money out of the manufacturing uh, um, supply chain, right? The manufacturing loop, you know, battening down the hatches, selling off things at a discount, you know, because... GDP, remember, GDP is a summation of transactions. It doesn't tell you whether those people had to sell it at a 30% discount to, to sell it, right? And it, so if, if you had to have deep discounts to move that inventory, that's not a sign of economic strength, even though the GDP number gets boosted, right? Think about car makers. If they all cut their car prices by 50% right now, you'd probably see a big pop in GDP. It doesn't mean it's good for those companies. It doesn't mean it's good for their employees, right? Because they'd be selling them at a loss. So as with so many other things, guys, context is just so important. And I'll be fully honest with you. I'm always try to be, I'm always honest with you guys, even if I'm wrong. But it leads me to that growth number. Because like I said, here's what I can't wrap my head around. If the economy is growing at a nominal 8%, and just for those of you that are just joining us, if we have 3.1% inflation, Because when the Fed reports and the government reports GDP growth, it's nominal growth. So how much we grew minus the inflation rate. 
Okay. So to post 4.9% growth, that means, and you have 3.1% inflation, that means the headline number, the nominal growth rate was 8%. That is smoking hot. Now, it wouldn't be nearly as impressive if that was the first or second quarter coming out of a recession. But think about when that's happening with these interest rates, you know, home sales selling at a fraction of their traditional volumes. So that isn't feeding through to GDP numbers. And you're looking at it going, okay, well, man, that's some big economic strength. Where's it coming from? It's not coming from autos. It's not coming from retail sales. Look at Lowe's, look at Home Depot, look at all these other, you know, more high end, especially like I said, some of the lower end ones are still doing good hanging in there. But Lowe's down 7.8% same store sales, Home Depot right in there. Why? How? Where is that growth coming from? And I, I don't, I don't sit here and have the, the, I don't, I don't have the answers for that. But what I will say is, we take an Occam's razor approach, which is, <clears throat> and this was a hard one for me to explain. But Occam's razor basically says, look, when you're looking at a set of data or you're looking at a situation. It's most often the most obvious and easiest explanation that is the correct one, right? You don't need to get fancy and complex and conspiratorial. It's most often the the answer that's just staring you in the face. Might not be the most sexy thing. Might not be the most entertaining or conspiratorial or cloak and dagger. But more often than not, it's the most obvious thing. So when you look at all of this data, you look at all these data points, you look at default rates and delinquencies and all the stuff we're looking at sharp pullbacks or sharp increases in in uh, continuing jobless claims, drop in temps, start adding all this together, leading economic indicators moving decidedly south. And then you're looking at that growth number. It, what it looks like to me is that inflation is being understated. That That at this point, based on looking at all the other data points, that seems to be that Occam's razor most logical explanation. Is all of this stuff happening that's never occurred before and all these 100% recession indicators are going off, but because of the magic of the U.S. consumer, we're somehow going to soar past this and higher rates don't matter, even looking at debt yields and real estate doesn't matter despite the foreclosure. You just, I, it just feels like it takes an unbelievable amount of mental gymnastics to sit there and think that you're at the beginning of some bull market. Does that mean sell everything? No, we still own several stocks. I mean, we're focusing on very fundamentally sound, positive cash flowing stocks that are paying us a dividend that are really cheap, that are basically already priced like they're in a recession. And I'm not saying to liquidate everything. Or does it make more sense to sit there and go, yeah, it doesn't look like the economy is about to fall off a cliff, but it looks like it's clearly slowing into a recession. Right, it just it's kind of that Occam's razor <laughs> explanation, and it's just really fascinating. I I don't really know what it is. I've never really understood it. I am admittedly somewhat of a skeptic. I'm not a cynic. I'm a, I'm a very positive person by nature. I don't think you can be in this business or be an entrepreneur or run a company if you're a cynic. So I'm not a cynic, but I'm a skeptic. And you're just kind of looking at all this going. Now, let, let me flip it around. If you were still at zero rates right now and the Fed was buying assets, 
regardless of all that data, I'd have to be on the side of, yeah, it prob- probably won't have recession. Maybe it'll get close. But, you know, we, we're still in a zero gravity environment. So, you know, and that could end up being wrong, too. I'm not saying that that would be correct if that was the case. But that would make sense to me. But then you look at this situation, I, I just, it's just really hard to wrap your head around it. You know, and if you're, and if you're forecasting 11%, which a lot of these guys are, 11% earnings growth last year, and you just printed an 8% GDP print, and 50% of companies that reported missed on revenues, and nobody would deny that the economy is slowing, walk me through how you get to 11% earnings growth. And remember, one of the stories that goes along with this, that's kind of part and parcel to this whole thing, is big tech. Big tech will keep motoring along regardless of a recession. And, and, and to be fair, and the reason that's important, guys, is again, remember, if you're, de- if, if you're forecasting a decline in earnings next year, because those big tech companies have gotten so bloody huge, it's kind of hard to forecast a decline in earnings unless you're forecasting that their earnings decline, right? And one of the popular memes out there that you can find, Jim Cramer has probably said it. I'm not going to say he has. I haven't heard him say it. But you just go around FinTwit on the internet, listen to some of these other places talk, and you will hear people say, look, big tech is recession-proof. It doesn't matter. Okay, well, I got a question for you. Again, another Occam's razor example. Is that true? Could be. I can't disprove that. And the argument makes some sense. They're so global, right? They have so many different business verticals. They've got so many areas like cloud that is still growing really strong and is, has a lot of profit. You know, there's some creed to that. But answer me this. Apple is now, and I've said it a hundred times. I'll say it again. Apple is one of those companies. It's the biggest. They just had four quarters of declining revenues, declining profits, declining margins. Not dramatically, but, you know, da- and we're not in recession. Does a recession make those numbers better? So, I, again, I'm not going to sit here and tell you those companies' earnings are about to collapse. I don't think they are. I don't think they're going up. I don't think they're going to go up meaningfully in a way that justifies current valuations. But what I'm trying to do is lay out the preponderance of evidence, knowing that none of us know exactly how it's going to play out, but also looking at it and just saying, what makes more sense to you? Do you know anybody out there that's sitting there going, oh man, this thing is going great guns. We're killing it. This 8% GDP growth, man, I've never been so rich. If you know those people, let me know. Because I'm, I'm talking to Fortune 500 companies. They're not saying that. They're saying the opposite. Talking to so many small business owners that are clients of mine, saying the same thing. Talking to a client yesterday that owns a tech company, that does a bunch of tech servicing and, and different things for people. Pretty cool little company he's got. And he goes, Zach, nobody wants to spend any money. Everybody's holding on to it. No new projects. I, and, and again, you can't take one data point. You got to look at all of them. The other one that I find hilarious, Boeing. They killed it at the air show. Everybody's ordering Boeings. Look at the backlog. Do you know how many times we heard about the backlog? Backlogs are fickle mistresses, man. The height of every economic cycle, everybody's talking about Boeing's backlog. Now, the one thing I will say, I'll tell you, don't go out there and short Boeing here. Because I don't think even at these levels, I just, 
Look, I'm not a fan of Boeing's management, and I'll say that out loud. I, I don't have a problem saying that. I don't think that nearly enough has changed at Boeing, considering the problems they've gone through. Um, I think that they're still doing a lot of the things they were doing before. They, they, they absolutely did not get religion. So if that's your thesis with Boeing, you're going to be disappointed because they, they did not get their religion. I think they fixed a couple things that created that disaster, but they have not changed the way they're going about things. They haven't changed the aggressive stock, you know, the focus they have on their stock. I'm talking to people that work there. They're pumping the stock again. I, I just, everywhere I look, I just don't see it. As a matter of fact, if you're, I think if you're being honest and you're not being biased, I think you see the opposite. So two things, guys, just, hey, look at the data. Don't listen to the opinions and just be extraordinarily careful who you're listening to. And all of all this is confusing to you and you catch yourself in that moment. Well, what do I do then? So I get out of stocks, I'm going to miss the upside, get into bonds. What happened if rates go higher? So I have so many people are paralyzed. You don't need to be paralyzed, guys. That's why we manage risk. So that you're okay regardless of what happens while also fully acknowledging that, look, a lot of times we're not going to hit the nail perfectly on the head, but you're retired. You don't need to. You're close to retirement. You don't need to have your account going up 25% every year. And I'm not saying that we can't do that. Not every year, but what I'm saying is you don't have to make these binary investment decisions. What you need is risk management. What you need is a portfolio that can has more upside, okay? More exposure to the upside, just with far less risk, different diversification, right? Less fees. That's what you need. So you're good either way. Is inflation the issue? Great. We own this over here. It's going to blow the top off if inflation reaccelerates again. We going into recession? Great. We got this section of the portfolio. We got way less risk exposure overall. All of this stuff's going to be good. You're good either way. So that if there is a recession and prices fall, we can take advantage of it. It's not going to make us change our lifestyle. It's not going to make us sell the vacation house. It's not going to make us sell the third car. And, and these are the kind of times. These are the times. I'll say it again. I've said it several times. If you haven't been managing money that way, you've been given a golden opportunity here. A recovery that by all fundamental measures should not happen. Right, that you've seen in the market this year. Never been anything like it, where you watch revenues do what they've done, earnings do what they've done on inflation-adjusted basis, both are negative, interest rates up substantially, and stocks soaring. Even stocks who are getting the worst of it, whose revenues and growth are going down, not, not the growth rate slowing, going negative. People bidding it up. And yet, and the other thing you see is greed setting in again, FOMO setting in. Haven't we learned that lesson? There's a better way, guys. Call us for crying out loud. 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to bed with your head on the pillow going, I'm going to be good either way. Yeah, maybe we'll miss a little bit here or there, but we're good either way. We're not running the risk of getting destroyed because culturally and politically and geopolitically, then I look at the market's valuations that seem just unchecked. I, I know so many of you are having that. And then the hesitation, though, is that your account's going up. That's FOMO. That's greed messing with you. You don't need to be exposed like this, guys. Call us. Anyway, got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. 
This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach uncover the truth about the financial markets with simple and honest advice to help you plan for retirement. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. We're with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, you talk about how you actively manage portfolios. How does active management help people with risk management? Because market conditions are constantly changing. Those advisors who put you in a portfolio and simply tell you to just ride the waves may not be equipped to handle the level of volatility we're seeing daily. And it's that constant changing volatility that can put retirement portfolios at a larger risk for loss. Risk management is our number one focus at Bulwark Capital, and our strongest leverage against loss is actively managing every portfolio, looking for opportunities to lower risk, lower cost, and give you as much upside as possible. Find out about how Bulwark Capital actively manages risk. Call them now and you'll get a free copy of Zach's Common Sense Investing Guide, 866-779-RISK. That's 866-779-RISK. Or you can go to knowyourriskradio.com. That's knowyourriskradio.com. Investment Advisory services offered through Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining sticking with us. Not joining us, sticking with us. This is kind of a this is kind of a, a an extension off of the last segment we did. It's not it's not new stuff. But it, it wanted to get specifically into the into the economic misnomers because I, it, it, it's really hard. Say, these are periods of times where it's really hard for me being a very data driven, data dependent guy. And and like I said, I always want to leave room to be wrong because this is one of those professions where even the and I'm not putting myself in this pantheon, but even the smartest people who've done it for the longest can be wrong because di- economies are so dynamic and you can be right. And then an element inside of economy can change and it can turn everything upside down. And I, you have to be humble enough to leave room for that because it's happened to me, but you, you, you just have to inject humility. And, and I, and I really want to do that. What I'm trying to point out here is the discrepancy between what the data is telling us and the conclusions that people are coming to, because there's just no there there. Well, job market's so strong. Yeah, it's always the strongest strike before recession. And what is the current trend? It's not strengthening. It's going the other way. Consumer spending, backbone of our economy. What's happening there? It's going the wrong way. Earnings and revenues, not collapsing, but what's happening there? Going the wrong way. Across the board. Yeah, but look at the stock market. Earnings now, right? These economic misnomers are just... they're, they're mind-boggling. Now, if somebody would say, Zach, you're king for a day, which probably in this, I wouldn't want to be in this world. Not right now, but king for a day, you know, what would you say? Look, what would the right response to this be? And I think at the very la- at the very least, at the very least, I just, again, just looking at the data, it warrants caution. And I think the biggest reason it warrants caution, and I don't think you can separate these two, it's the valuation of the underlying assets. They're literally priced for perfection. And everybody's like, well, there's stuff cheap in the stock market. That's true, but it's not what everybody owns. Just go look at the average portfolio. Everybody owns a proxy of the S&P 500. Why? Because that's what's gone up for 15 years. Go look at every large cap mutual fund. It's all tech. 
They're hugging the index. They don't want to be wrong. Yeah, there's a lot of great cheap stuff out there. I talk about it every week on the show, but it's not what people own. And and that, to me, it's the value discrepancy. Well, yeah, but real estate's never been less affordable. Well, if rates come down, rates are going to come down when prices do. And again, we, we oh, so you're a bit... No, I just... Look, I think that the most logical outcome is that the economy you know, continues to slow a little bit and comes down to the trend line that the economy was on for the last 15 years. Then I think that you've got some proving to do. Then it's, okay, where do we go from here? Do we resume on this trend line or do we break and have a little bit deeper of a recession? And I don't know the answer to that, right? My odds are thought is I think you could break that support line, that trend line we were on for 15 years, but I think the Fed would be pretty quick to the trigger. I do think that it'll probably, I would expect it just again, because nobody's even thinking about, you know, they talk about it like a recession. Obviously, you don't understand the economy, you know, and you look at it and the reality is just so much different from that. So, you know, what would a sober position be for me, even if you were slightly bullish is, look, I think there's things to own out there. I think that, you know, and I'll just say it generally speaking, and you you can't say this 100% of the time, okay? It doesn't work 100% of the time. But generally speaking, if I look at companies that are trading at valuations like this, you know, 30, 40 times revenue, and then I look at the earnings yield, and the earnings yield is one-third of the risk-free rate, it may work out well for you this time. And when I say risk-free rate, the earnings yield, I want to be very clear about this. How do we tell when things are overpriced? I go look at the amount of profit Microsoft makes, $77 billion a year, which is breathtaking, by the way, and that's why I said Saying I don't like these companies at these prices is not saying they're bad companies, okay? But I divide that, or I, I, I divide their market cap by that number, and I get to a 2.3, 2.4% earnings yield. Don't quote me on that. I didn't run that number this morning and could, could be wrong. But somewhere in there, twos, mid-twos. Then I look at a two-year treasury paying 5.1 with zero risk. It's really hard for me to want to take on the risk of an individual stock with this backdrop, geopolitical issues, antitrust potential issues into the future, slowing economy, all that kind of stuff. And I'm doing it for a 2.3% earnings yield when the risk-free rate's paying me 5.1. Two-year treasuries pay me 5.1. If Microsoft doubles its profit over the next six to seven years, it would still be paying me a discount to what I can buy a U.S. government bond paying me right now. I mean, I may believe that prices just keep elevating like they have for the last 15 years. But here's what I will tell you, and I'll flat out guarantee you this. If you continue to make investment decisions based on that type of thinking and math, you're going to have very bad results. Maybe not this time. And that's where you get into risk management. I look at so many of these portfolios, and they will work if the needle gets threaded. You're betting, you're you're literally walking with your retirement portfolio and you're putting it on a roulette chip. You may hit, but the chances are overwhelmingly that you're not going to. It's a complete breakdown and lapse of risk management. You should be approaching it saying, wait a second, this doesn't make a lot of sense. 80% of the time in the past, this has worked. I got to play the percentages in my retirement. I'm in retirement. I don't have time to start over, but that's not what everybody's doing. And it's going to hurt you. Call us, 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. We'll show you how we can drastically lower your fees, lower your risk, and increase your upside so you're good regardless of what happens. But you got to call us. Again, 866-779-RISK. 
That's it for this week. Have a great weekend. Happy Thanksgiving. Be safe out there. We'll see you next week. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.